From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Several hundred cases of e-cigarette vaping-related lung injury have been reported to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention from all over the United States, including nearly 50 deaths. It's an urgent health crisis, and there's an ongoing investigation into the precise cause. And here in the HealthLink on Air studio to talk about it with us is Gina Marafa, a toxicologist and assistant clinical director of the Upstate New York Poison Center. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air. Hi, thank you for having me. Let's dive right in. Can you please describe the recent outbreak? Sure. So back in the summer, really June and July of this past summer, there were the first cases reported in the Midwest of patients that had been using e-cigarettes or vaping devices that were having lung injury and a variety of symptoms associated with that. At first, it was thought that it was maybe just isolated to perhaps a bad batch of product being used. Um, But very quickly, we realized that it had it was a larger problem. Probably late August, early September of this past year was really when we here in the Upstate New York Poison Center um, started to take the first cases of patients with e-volley or e-cigarette or vaping associated lung injury. Um, And since then, there's been um, a significant number of cases both called into the Poison Center here as well as across the country. So this started in the Midwest just by happen. That's where it was recognized first. There's nothing about the Midwest. No, it was just recognized there that patients had presented to healthcare facilities with complaints of nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. So more non-specific complaints. Patients had weight loss. They had said that they had lost their appetite or had anorexia, and then began having symptoms of cough shortness of breath, fever. And then when they had gone to the hospital, they had, um, upon workup, it was identified that they had been using an e-cigarette or a vaping device. And then they had this lung injury on chest x-ray or imaging that something was somewhat unique in at least in otherwise healthy patients um and so those were the first cluster of cases that were reported um and were reported out of again out of the midwest and then an announcement came out from the centers for disease control about this Um, again we didn't have those in june and july we didn't appreciate any of those cases um here in our area um, but very quickly beginning like i said the you know end of august and early September is when really the the cases started being called into us here at the Poison Center. So now that there are hundreds of cases that have been recognized, what can you tell me about the the people that end up in the hospital with this injury? Are they mostly male or female? So it's interesting. According to the CDC recent data, they release new statistics every Friday. Um, So as of December 3rd of 2019, the CDC reported 2,291 hospitalized patients with this e-volley. And as you already alluded to, there have been 48 deaths um, reported from the CDC. If you look at the statistics from New York State, so from the New York State Department of Health, um, this is data through December 4th. So 
only a day off from the CDC data. There are 201 cases um, reported to the New York State Department of Health, with 117 of those cases being confirmed or probable. So meaning that those patients meet the definition developed by the Centers for Disease Control for EVALI. Um, and so what we're seeing, and this is both in New York State and in, um, in, in national data, it's, it's, again, across the country, so it's pretty much in every state. Um, it's, there is a large proportion of males. Um, there, the deaths that have been reported have been largely in older patients, though in New York State there's been at least one death um, that's been reported by the New York State Department of Health in a teenager. Um, and so largely the deaths are older patients, but again, the age range of the majority of people is relatively relatively young. So in that, you know, 18 to 30 years of age range is a majority of those patients. So, and, and are these people who are otherwise healthy? So it's hard to say exactly of all, out of all of these patients, but from our experience, these are people that are previously healthy, um, that ha again have been using an e-cigarette or a vaping device. What's interesting is that if you look at all of the cases, about 85 or 86% of the cases of e are associated with THC or marijuana use. Um, so a large amount of them are people who are using THC through these devices. Are they people who are previous cigarette smokers are they, or are they new to ingesting stuff into their lungs? Well, it's hard to say. So as we know, when we think about um, e-cigarettes or vaping devices, if you just look globally at the statistics of who, of people that use these devices. When they were first introduced into the market, they were intended for people as an alternative to help them quit cigarette smoking. Um, and certainly that's, there are still the number of people that are using it for that purpose. But what we've also seen, and there's recent statistics nationally, that the number of adolescents and teenagers that are using these devices for the first time is astronomically high. And so there's a, a large percentage of teens and adolescents that are using these devices that previously were not smokers that just began to use these devices. Um, so the as far as the patient characteristics, again, out of all of these, you know, nearly 2,300 patients, it's hard to say how many of them were smokers. We do know, though, that a lot of, at least because of the demographics of people using them. There are certainly people that have no history of cigarette smoking that have been using these e-cigarette devices in the past several months that have gone on to develop this e-volley or this lung injury second associated with its use. Now in terms of theories about what's causing the pulmonary injury, you mentioned THC, that a high number of these patients have been using the THC product. Are there other theories? Well, so it's interesting. So we don't fully understand the mechanism as to what's happening with this lung injury. What we do know is with these devices and with the products or the liquid inside these devices, there's a lot of different chemicals um, that are mixed both in the liquids and also that are then created when you actually put these liquids under high heat. So the exact mechanism is unknown. What the CDC recently found though, was that there were 
high levels of vitamin E acetate in um, both the product as well as in samples obtained from specific patients from lung fluid that was obtained under while they were in the hospital. And so the if you look at it, there's the, again, these very high concentrations of this vitamin E acetate. And again, we don't fully understand the mechanism, um, but as of right now, at least according to CDC, they're investigating that the vitamin E acetate is likely the culprit of this of this lung injury associated with, um, with e-cigarettes. So it likely plays some role. It likely plays some role. I think the exact mechanism, again, is poorly understood. We don't, we don't, can't fully conclude anything right now because it's still a very much ongoing active investigation. Um, but again, there's a lot of chemicals that are created um, that people are inhaling when they're using these products. So whether it's multifactorial, whether it is related to this vitamin E acetate, I think it's too soon to say, but is certainly under active investigation. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking about vaping-associated lung injury with toxicologist and assistant director of the Upstate New York Poison Center, Gina Marafa. So I want to ask about the role that Upstate New York Poison Center is playing in this outbreak. You had a paper recently, you and some colleagues, in The Lancet, which is a prestigious journal dealing with vaping injury. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So the Upstate New York Poison Center, we cover 54 counties in Upstate New York. Um, And so we work collaboratively with, again, all of the healthcare facilities that call cases into us as well as the public. Um, And as part of our role, we also work very, very um, closely with the New York State Department of Health. Um, as well as our local health departments from a county level. Um, And so when we first began, when we received our first cases of this, at the time it was called vaping-associated lung injury, um, we had reached out to the New York State Department of Health to let them know that we had received um, what we believed to be was a likely or a potential case. Um, And from that, we it really became an active, ongoing, collaborative effort with the New York State Department of Health. We have colleagues um, also at the University of Rochester Medical Center, and they were they were actually the first hospital, um, at least that we received cases of of this of this e-volley. Um, and so we worked with the University of Rochester Medical Center. We have a medical toxicologist that works there. They're the ones that actually called the case into us. And then with us, the New York State Department of Health, along with the New York City Poison Control Center, um, which is the second poison control center in New York State, we've all been working collaboratively, both in receiving cases um, with this, reporting cases to the New York State Department of Health, and then also um, worked collaboratively to publish that paper, as well as to create a flow diagram or a flow chart to assist practitioners in evaluating these patients, especially as we're rolling into a very busy time with influenza or flu season. It's really difficult to differentiate flu and other viral illnesses from 
vaping associated lung injury. And so collaboratively with, again, with the University of Rochester Medical Center, the New York City Poison Control Center, and the New York State Department of Health, we all work together in creating that diagnostic um, flowchart, again, intended for healthcare professionals to be able to help them evaluate and manage these patients a little bit easier. So is there an agreement on how to diagnose this? Well, so it's difficult as far as, so really what the diagnosis is, it's it's often, it's very multifactorial. So thinking about other causes of illness um, and using what the definition from the Centers for Disease Control is really what dictated the beginning of this flowchart. So really evaluating patients for concurrent illness, comorbid disease, again, influenza and other viruses, cardiac history. Um, and then there are some specific tests to obtain, specifically like a chest x-ray or a CT scan, really looking at the lungs more specifically and looking to see if there are some findings that we've seen most consistently show up within these patients that have EVALI. Um, so again, it's it's usually a, an extensive medical workup that these patients undergo. Um, again, it's often a, a diagnosis that you have to exclude more common or even uncommon problems. Um, and then as far as the treatment, it's really supportive care. So meaning you're treating what you see in a patient. There's no definitive um, treatment for this. It's just treating the patient. What we've seen, at least his, in the cases that we've had um, here as well as across the, the country, patients have responded to steroids, um, which is a medicine that kind of helps decrease inflammation. Um, but there's no specific or set treatment for these patients. It's really just treating what, what their symptoms are and what your, the clinical findings are. I read about uh, one of these patients needing a lung transplant yes. uh, elsewhere in the country. Yeah, but so other, and I think, I don't recall where it was. I think it was in Michigan. I read about the same, um, the same patient who required a double lung transplant. Some of these patients have been very, very ill. If you look at this, some of the CDC number, again, there's 48 deaths with this, but then there's also been patients that who have been severely ill in the ICU on a ventilator or needing a tube to help them breathe. Um, again, that one case that was reported of someone needing a lung transplant um, or even, again, something like ECMO, which is a method to help really stabilize somebody, which is more of an intensive care medicine. Um, and so these patients have been, some of these patients have been quite dramatically ill. Um, and then there are some that are sick requiring hospitalization. And then there are also on the same end of that, some patients that are being able to be managed as an outpatient by their primary care physician. It sounds like this is sort of an acute illness or it can be do we know about any chronic illnesses tied to vaping or has that been around long enough for us to see that? So that's a really good question. So this is, again, very acute. This is a single, I think that this is an acute epidemic, if you will, of vaping, of a problem associated with vaping. But what we also don't know, and you make a very good point, what are the chronic health effects of vaping? And at this point, we really don't know that. Um, I think certainly there's some theories out there. There's been a few reports and some warnings about vaping causing seizures. Um, there's also been, you know, some concern of, well, 
what, what happens to people who vape every day is their chronic lung injury that happens. And I think that we just don't know a lot of those, those chronic health concerns secondary to vaping because it just it hasn't been around that long that we really know the long-term effects like we, that are very well known with cigarette smoking. Well, if someone is set on vaping, they're really going to, they want to do it, but they don't want to end up in the hospital. Do you have advice for how to do it safely? Well, that's an interesting question. So I think that right now, and especially with the, this recent information from the CDC, the CDC is recommending, um, obviously, that people don't vape, um, but especially avoiding THC, specifically THC obtained from informal sources, um, and so avoiding those products. Um, I think that's the most important thing right now. Um, with that being said, I think that we again we don't know the long-term effects of vaping and i think that if you are vaping it's really important i think that if you talk to your healthcare provider to really talk about ways to to potentially begin that process of stop vaping especially because even we know just the the effects of nicotine and what that does as far as um, the tolerance and dependence on nicotine. Um, and so I think talking to your healthcare provider about ways to be able to stop to stop that is an important thing as well. But as of right now, at least as it relates to this outbreak, um, I think the most important thing is to avoid vaping anything from and particularly any informal sources. Um, don't, if you have a device um, or a pod or whatever people are calling it, don't actually try to modify the ingredients in that device. Um, don't buy anything that isn't from a manufacturer. Um, again, so these informal sources um, seems to be where the biggest problem is. So avoiding anything like that, whether it's THC or not THC, avoiding anything, don't try to make your own liquid or buy liquid from somebody else um, to be able to, and then put it into your, um, into your device or important take-home points. Well, good advice. Thank you so much to Gina Marafa, a clinical toxicologist and assistant clinical director of the Upstate New York Poison Center. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.